0: Colossians chapter number three, we'll review briefly some of our material from last week. The book of Colossians focuses on the centrality of Jesus Christ. The book says he is before all things and by him all things consist and he is the head of the church and he is to have the preeminence, first place in our hearts, in our lives, in our homes, in our church. In him, Colossians 2.9 says, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily and we are complete in him. So Colossians focuses on Jesus Christ and then our identity in Christ. We are complete in him. It emphasizes who we are in Jesus Christ, what we have in Jesus Christ and of Jesus Christ and with Jesus Christ. And the first two chapters especially focus on this doctrinal truth these theological concepts in chapter 3 there's a shift to the practical outworking of those truths in our daily Christian life and there is an instruction given in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 3 that we are to seek those things which are above and set our affection on things above that we have to learn to live not for this life but for the next to look at the things not that are seen but the things that are not seen to seek first the kingdom of God to lay up treasure in heaven, and that that teaching, that instruction, that exhortation is built upon. Seven truths contained in the first four verses, and we'll not read those again, but we will pick up in verse number five. The Bible says, Colossians chapter three and verse five, mortify therefore, again, there is a basis for the instruction. God always gives us the reasons for the commandments. Uh, we, We don't have to wonder. We don't have to exercise blind faith. This is logical. This is Romans 12, reasonable service. If we do not obey the Lord, it's not because he did not make it clear what we are to do. If we do not obey the Lord, it's not because he did not make it clear why we should do what he said we should do. We simply ignored it, or rejected it. It's our fault, not his. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. We'll talk about what all those things are and why we are to mortify them, how that works. Verse number six, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked sometime when ye lived in them, Verse 8, but now you also put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. The Bible is against sin. God is against sin. Any preacher that preaches the Bible will preach against sin. No matter how unpopular it makes him, our, our desire and our objective ultimately is to honor the Lord and please the Lord. And secondly, it's to help the people to whom we minister to. And a preacher who will not preach against sin does no favors to his congregation. The reason the Bible warns us against sin is because God loves us and he knows how sin will harm our lives and it offends his holiness. And so here is a list of sins in this passage that is addressed to saved people who are in Jesus Christ and God through the Holy Spirit through the pen of the apostle Paul is saying don't do this. And there are external sins in verse number 5 and there are internal sins in verse number 8 and all of these are warned against and preached against. Let's not the Lord ask the Lord to help us as we study these verses and think about these things. Father, thank you for your goodness to us today God for the truth of your word God thank you that there are many assembled to the church house God with an open Bible and a desire to hear what the Bible says I pray that you would bless that desire Lord I pray that you would put that desire in us uh, Lord where it's not and God this morning that you would be pleased honored and glorified help me to say the right things the right way and give us good understanding and not only a, a good understanding but a an honest and good heart Lord, so that we can do these things and not just hear them. We ask and pray in Jesus' name, amen. Verse number five, mortify therefore your members. Interestingly, verse number three said, ye are dead. Verse number five says, mortify therefore. We're not going to go back and read Romans 6 again, but it's the same concept. God's reckoning, God's perspective. Your old life is dead. Your old man is dead. You are crucified with Christ. It's as if, in God's reckoning, that old man no longer exists. But that that, that doesn't mean that that's the reality of the situation presently in your life upon the earth. It does not take very far into the day, every day, to realize the old man actually does exist. You understand what I'm saying? The reason that these sins are preached against and written against and warned against is that they are very real possibilities in the life of the saved individual. You have to mortify your members because if you don't, you will commit these sins. You are dead to sin, verse number three, but you have to learn to think that way, verse number five. Romans six says, We are dead. And then it says, Likewise reckon ye also yourselves. Think the way that God thinks, take the perspective that God takes. Learn to view the old man as what God says it is, though it's not really that yet. Let me show you again. Ephesians chapter 4. We may have read this verse last week. I can't remember. But Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 17. Ephesians chapter 4. And verse number 17, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. Okay, you're saved now. Live differently is the theme of so many of these passages in the New Testament. Skip down to verse 22. That you put off concerning the former conversation the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts? Let me ask you a question: Why would you have to put off the old man if the old man is eradicated? If the old man is not present, if the old man is not active and is not functioning and is not seeking to influence, uh, seeking to exert influence over your life? Why the instruction in Ephesians four to put off the old man if it's not giving you problems every day? Okay? Uh, the reason I say that, there is a teaching based on Romans 6 that when you get saved, your old nature is eradicated. But uh, that teaching fails to take into consideration the rest of the New Testament. You can't build any doctrine on one single passage, and it doesn't jive with reality. My old man is very much alive. God tells me I need to mortify, that is, consider it dead put it to death a mortuary is where you put dead bodies and that's where i need to put these members these sins these desires these possibilities mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth we cannot forget that even though we are saved and indwelt by the holy spirit and placed in jesus christ we are capable Of all of these things. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. So, what do we have to mortify? Verse number five starts with this fornication. Fornication. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth fornication. What is fornication? It is enjoying outside of marriage what God designed to be enjoyed only inside of marriage. That's what it is. I remember um, when I was young, uh, we celebrated Christmas, and I really liked that because it meant that I got presents. And believe it or not, Santa did not bring my presents because Santa does not exist. Sorry. Um, But my parents would buy my presents, and they didn't like go shopping on Christmas Eve. They shopped ahead of time. And so that means they brought the presents home, but, you know, we've got to do this thing where they just suddenly appear on Christmas Eve and you open them Christmas morning. So the, the presents would be hidden hmm. different places in the house, around the house, sometimes in the vehicle Sheep, you, you know, you understand where this is going, right? Like, how many of you were curious? I'm no longer curious, but as a child apparently I had a little bit of curiosity. And so there, there, there was an instance, one in particular that I remember, where I sneaked around to find out what the gift was before I was supposed to have it, okay? And uh, I'm pretty sure I didn't get those gifts because my oldest sister told on me, ratted me out, and mom just took it back, and I learned my lesson. I don't think I did that again. How many of you have ever tried to open the birthday present? Before it was your birthday, right? Okay, there's this gift. There's this wonderful thing for you to enjoy at the right time, and God created marriage, and God created everything that goes along with marriage, and he put it in a box, and he wrapped it up, and he put a bow on it, and you are not to open that present until you walk down the aisle and say, I do, exchange vows, and put a ring on somebody's finger, and kiss in front of everybody, okay? <laughs> I am not going to comment, Cameron. That is very, very tempting. Okay? There's a time and a place and a situation. There's some boundaries. Oh, but, but, but people go outside of the boundaries that God established. People try to open and unwrap the gift. And, oh, and it just ruins it for the way that God intended. And this is, listen, this is the... This might be the number one sin in America today, and there's hardly anybody left who views it as sin, but the Bible still does, and God still does, and this church still does, and this preacher still does, and I hope to God that you still do. Because God's word is really, 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 really clear. There is a physical relationship that is only to be enjoyed by a husband and a wife. And it's not a bad thing, it's not a dirty thing, it's a wonderful thing, but it has one proper place and one proper context. The word fornication is mentioned 39 times in the New Testament, and almost every time it is right at the top of a list of sins. It's really important. Society doesn't think it's a big deal, but God still thinks it's a big deal. Your cross-reference is Hebrews 13.4, marriage is honorable. In all, and the bed, undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. Mortify. Put that to death. Don't even get on the road that leads in that direction. 1 Corinthians 7 says, Here's how to avoid fornication. Let every man have his own wife. And until you have a wife, don't touch her. (laughs) That's what the Bible says. Next one, uncleanness mortify therefore your members which upon the earth fornication uncleanness now the word uncleanness appears 11 times in the new testament It simply means dirty filthy lewd inappropriate here here's the here's the teaching here's the instruction you don't have to cross that line fornication you don't have to cross that line in order for it to be sinful <laughs> right you, you need to be pure not only in your body you need to be pure in your heart you need to be pure in your mind The problem with uncleanness is that God is clean. Somebody with uncleanness in the Old Testament, they could not approach the tabernacle. They could not enter into the temple. They could not participate in the corporate worship of Jehovah. Somebody who was unclean was cut off from the rest of the congregation. A, a priest or a Levite who was unclean was unable to perform the service of God. Here's why you need to be clean because Second 2 Timothy 2.21 says, If you are clean, you will be a vessel that is sanctified and fit for the master's use. God is not going to use a dirty life. God is not going to bless a dirty life. It's time to eat dinner. You're gonna get the clean dishes out of the cupboard, not the nasty dishes out of the sink. You don't want to use something filthy, and neither does the Lord. The next item, verse number five, inordinate affection. Inordinate affection. That word is only used one other time in the Bible. It's Ezekiel 23:11. And the word inordinate has two different meanings. On one hand, it means irregular or disorderly. That is the wrong kind of affection. The wrong kind of affection. And there are lots of illustrations and examples of that in society. People have the wrong kind of affection. When a girl likes a girl, that is inordinate affection. That's wrong. When a guy likes a guy, that is inordinate affection. That is the wrong kind of affection. It is irregular Everything in society is working to convince you that it's normal, that it's acceptable, that it is to be celebrated. The Bible says it's inordinate. Don't change your mind on that. Don't don't compromise on that. Don't, Don't let society move you from your position on what is normal and what is regular and what is good. Inordinate also means excessive or immoderate. Inordinate affection. There are some things you shouldn't care about. And if you care about them, that's inordinate. There are some things it's okay to care about. You just should kind of check it. <laughs> you shouldn't care too much. Like, it's it's okay to care about what you look like. But it's not okay to care too much about what you look like. That would be inordinate. It's okay to care about your pets. But if you give pay more for dog food than you give to missions, no offense, Thomas, <laughs> That's a lot of dogs, But you, 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 people, Christian people, saved people who say they love God will spend more money on their pets. That's a business. It's different. More money on their pets than they will get in the gospel around the world. That is inordinate affection. When we're okay with murdering babies but we want to save the whales, that is inordinate affection. You understand what I'm saying? Mortify that. Mortify that. Keep that in check. Make sure you care the right amount about the right things. Verse number five, evil concupiscence. Concupiscence. Put that one on your spelling test. Evil concupiscence. Same root word as cupid, cupidity. What? Cupidity. Cupidity means strong, improper, illicit, or unbridled lust or sexual desire. It describes pretty much everything that passes its entertainment in our country today. Most TV shows, evil concupiscence. Most movies, evil concupiscence. Most pop music, evil concupiscence. Unbridled lust. Word is used three times in Scripture. It's also in Romans 7 verse 8. It's in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 5. Mortify that. Don't let that be a part of your life as a Christian. And then verse number 5, covetousness, which is idolatry. Now, we know what covetousness is. That's when you really want something that doesn't belong to you. (laughs) Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's stuff. They have it. I don't. Wah. Woe is me. I want it. That's covetousness. That's also something that our society is built upon. That's why the advertising industry is a billion, 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 billions of dollar industry. I I know I didn't say that properly. But there's a lot of money put into advertising convincing the richest people in the world that they would be happy if they could just get fill in the blank, whatever it is. But, But interestingly, sorry a lawyer. <laughs> they do spend a lot of money on advertising. That's a very good point. Covetousness here is linked with idolatry. We know, we know what covetousness is. That's when you want stuff. We know what an idolatry is. That's when you bow down to an idol. That's when you worship a false god. How are those two the same? Well, very easily. A covetous heart says stuff is god because whatever you worship, that's your god. Whatever you Whatever you desire, that's your God. Whatever you spend your time on, that's your God. Whatever you spend your money on, that's your God. Covetousness is idolatry. Luke 12, 15 says, beware of covetousness. Proverbs says, he that hateth covetousness shall prolong his days. That's a powerful statement. Similarly, stubbornness is equated with idolatry. That's your 1 Samuel 15 22 reference. I know we're going fast. We're not turning all these verses. But we've got a lot of ground to cover. Covetousness is idolatry in that it says stuff is God. Stubbornness is idolatry in that it says self is God. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. Nobody's going to convince me that I'm wrong. Nobody's going to instruct me or correct me or nobody's going to help me. I don't need any help. I'm perfect. I'm God. That's stubbornness. That is not a good character quality. Let's mortify those members verse number six this is interesting hold Colossians 3 and uh, and get John 3 while we consider this passage I think this is important for us to understand verse number six of Colossians 3 for which things sake for what things sake well all those sins in verse 5 for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of of disobedience. God is very angry. God executes wrath on those who disobey, those who transgress, those who violate his commandment, those who sin in these areas. God's wrath comes on the children of disobedience for these things. That's what it says, right? Look at John 3. Before we read the verses, here's the question that we want to consider. And the Bible has the answer for us. Does a lost person go to hell because of their sin or because they reject Jesus Christ? And I'll just go ahead and tell you the answer. The answer is yes. And and we need to understand this biblically. Lost people deserve hell because of their sin. God is just in his judgment. At the great white throne, the Bible says the books are open. Now, the determining factor at the great white throne judgment, whether or not someone's cast a lake of fire, is if their name is in the book of life. And anybody can have their name in the book of life because Jesus Christ is the way and the truth and the life. And he, he gave his life and he shed his blood and he rose again. And he'll save anybody who believes. So everybody can have their name in the book of life. But that's not the only book that's open in the great white throne. The Bible says the books were open, Plural. And every man was judged according to the things that were written in the books according to their works. Those books, and whether it's a record of man's life or whether it's the record of God's commandments or whether it's both and they're compared to one another... Those books that are open at the judgment prove to man that he deserves the, the, the punishment he's about to receive. It proves to man his condemnation. Men are condemned and under the wrath of God because of their sin. However, John 3:36, look at the way this is worded. John 3:36. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. What a blessing. I hope you have that this morning. I hope you've trusted Jesus Christ this morning. If you haven't, today's the best day to do that. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. The wrath of God abideth on him, okay? If the wrath of God abides on someone, it means it was already there and hasn't left yet. And it's already there because Colossians 3, the wrath of God is on the children of disobedience because of their sin. Now, there is a way for you to get out from under the wrath of God. There is a way for you to escape the wrath of God. There is a way for you to be delivered and to be saved. And it's believing on Jesus Christ. He that believeth on him is not condemned. He that believeth not is condemned already. The wrath of God is on the lost because of their sin, but it abides there if they refuse to believe. That's a balanced scriptural position on that question. Look at Ephesians chapter 5. We've got a cross-reference for this. Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 1. Be, therefore, followers of God as dear children and walk in love. As Christ also loved us and have given Himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling savor. But fornication, does that sound familiar? And all uncleanness, does that sound familiar? Or covetousness, just like Colossians 3? Let it not be once named among you as become as saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this ye know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, hath any inheritance of the kingdom of Christ and of God, no man deceive you with vain words. For because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience, be not ye therefore partakers with them. Okay, so two points to be made. Number one, God's wrath is on sinners because of their sin. But then point number two, if you're saved, you're not appointed to wrath. If you're saved, the wrath of God does not abide on you. But it is possible for you to have the same sin in your life that causes God to pour his wrath out on those who are lost. You might be saved by grace. You might be washed in blood. But if you're living like a lost person, God is not happy about that. God is not happy with that. That is something that is incongruent that does not fit together if you're saved and delivered from the wrath of God these things should not be a part of your life mortify your members which are upon the earth back to Colossians chapter 3 in verse number 7 notice the tense of the verbs in this verse Colossians 3 verse number 7 in the which ye also walked sometime. What's the tense? Past tense, thank you. In the which ye also walked sometime, when ye lived. What's the tense? Past tense, when ye lived in them. These sins are supposed to be a thing of the past. It is assumed in the scripture that your life after you meet Jesus is going to be different from your life than your life before you met Jesus. Now, come on, I understand a lot of you were church kids. A lot of you grew up in church. A lot of you never went out into the world and filled your cup up with sin. You never sowed your wild oats. Thank God for it. You weren't saved out of this horrible life of sin, but you maybe were saved from going into this horrible life of sin is so the question for you is why would you even take any steps in that direction why would you want to go there why would you flirt with it why would you dabble in it why would you want to experiment with it for which things sake the wrath of God comes on the children of disobedience in the which he also walks sometime it ought to be a thing of the past or a thing of never first Peter chapter 4 is cross-reference, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse number 1, 1 Peter 4, and verse 1 says, For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. Christ died to save me from those sins. What an insult to His grace. What a slap in the face. To a loving God, for me to say, I want those things that cause you to be nailed to a cross. For he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. For the time past of our life may suffice us. To have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked, past tense, and lasciviousness, lusts, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries. (laughs) Enough of that. You've had enough. Uh, Whatever you've done to this point, that's sufficient. Okay? Leave it behind. Turn away. Walk away. Bury it and don't dig it up. That's the instruction. In Colossians 3, you're saved. You're in Christ. You're complete in Him. You have everything you need. You've got joy and peace and hope and love. and You don't need these other things. Verse number 8, Colossians 3. Colossians 3. Verse number 8. You guys have done great. We're going to finish this. Colossians 3, verse number 8. But now ye also, okay, took care of that. Fornication, mortified. Uncleanness, mortified. Inordinate affection, mortified. Concupiscence, mortified. Covetousness, mortified. The sins of the flesh, the external things, we took care of that, verse number 8. But now ye also, God's about to go deeper. God's moving from the external to the internal. It's not just the outward sins God wants you to get rid of. He wants you to begin to address the sins of the heart. The inward things. But now you also put off all these. Again, the reason you have to put them off is because even though you're saved, even though you're in Christ, even though Christ is in you, these things have a way of, of rising to the surface. These things have a way of, of presenting themselves in our lives. And we got to put it off. We got to put it away. That, that, that again, Implies some intentionality. That again implies some directed, focused effort. God wants us to do that. God will put the desire in us. God will give us the power and the enabling, but you've got to have the will and you've got you've to make the choice and, and you've got to put in some effort to this. But now, ye also put off all these and some more sins for us to list and define and study the first of which is anger, which is fairly convicting. Don't don't, don't you love the question in the book of Jonah? Doest thou well, remember Friday night, doest thou well to be angry? You think you should really be angry about this? Now, it, it is possible to be angry without sinning. It's just not all that common. Right? There are things that should make us angry. And there are things that shouldn't. And it's unfortunate that often the things that shouldn't are the things that do. And the things that should are the things that don't. Did I say that properly? I think I said that right. But you understand what I'm saying. What should make you angry, we don't care enough about. The things that really aren't a big deal, that's often what we do get angry about be angry and sin not if if we want to get angry about the honor of the lord that's one thing if we get angry because somebody was a little bit annoying christian <laughs> <coughs> it's a bit different but put off the anger some great ber- verses in proverbs about anger it, it'll just quickly lead you to sin next step wrath wrath Anger and wrath, they they seem like the same thing. They're very closely related, very similar. But wrath is a step farther. Anger, that's that's what you feel. Wrath, now you're you're acting on it. (laughs) Wrath is anger put into practice. Wrath is the outworking of anger. Wrath is executing vengeance on the source of anger. (laughs) You made me mad, now I am going to do something to you about it that's wrath and in the bible wrath is reserved to god we are never permitted to execute wrath vengeance is mine i will repay saith the lord that's romans 12 19 wrath malice what is malice mentioned six times in the new testament it's extreme enmity of heart or malevolence it is a disposition to injure others without cause from mere personal gratification or from a spirit of revenge, it is unprovoked malignity or spite. Anger and wrath, somebody did something to me, I'm getting back at them. Malice, I just provoke people. Malice, I just like to make people angry. Malice, I, I, I harbor ill will toward others. That's malice. God said, look, put that off love your neighbor as yourself so put off malice blasphemy verse number eight blasphemy to blaspheme is to speak or to act irreverently reproachfully contemptuously or impiously toward god it is anything that derogates and that means that takes away from that detracts from that lessens the honor of the lord And it's a really serious offense. In the Ten Commandments, God said, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. And then it says, For the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. If oh my God is part of your vocabulary, you need to eliminate that from your vocabulary today. That's blasphemy. Stop. Okay? God is really serious about the honor of his name. I was uh, I was watching a video of Ray Comfort uh, witnessing, and you know how he goes through the Ten Commandments, and he asks the person, "Have you ever done that?" And and, and blasphemy is one of the ones he uses. Have you taken the name of the Lord's in Lord's name in vain? And and everybody says uh, yes. He's like, "Do you have a mother? Do you do you love your mother? Do you ever do you ever use your mother's name to curse? Why not? Because you love her, because you respect her, and yet you curse the one who gave you your mother. It's blasphemy." But blasphemy is not only something that can be spoken. You can also blaspheme God by your actions, the Bible says. The Bible says that when a child of God acts like a child of the devil, we cause his name to be blasphemed, to be dishonored. We do irreverence. The Bible says put that off. Filthy, next, filthy communication Out of your mouth. A child of God should not talk like the world. There is no reason a cuss word should ever come out of your mouth. This would also include Christian cuss words. (laughs) Those really close replacements that we use because, you know, we don't cuss, we just get real close. That probably qualifies as filthy communication out of your mouth. Off- color jokes and you innu- innuendo, off color stories. Just, just just put that off. Just forget about that. Just drop it. You'll, you'll be okay without it. You'll be better off without it. This world is so dirty and sick and perverted and twisted. They can take anything that's normal and clean and what and make a sick joke out of it. And you ought not be like that. The Bible says in Titus fifteen, To the pure, all things are pure. But to them that are filthy and defiled, there's nothing pure. Don't, don't let that be you. One last passage, Ephesians chapter 4. Very close cross-reference, as we've seen, to Colossians 3. Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 25. And we'll read through the end of the chapter. We'll close with this passage. Ephesians 4, 25. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor. I would say lies would be filthy communication, wouldn't you? Stop lying. Tell the truth. Lying is a horrible habit because the more you do it, the more you have to do it. And the more you do it, the more you convince yourself that what you say is true. And the harder it is to keep up with the lies you've told. Lying is like an avalanche. It just grows. And look, I, I have known teenagers... I have known teenagers who just lie because it's just what they do. They lie when the truth would work because they're in such a habit of lying. They don't know how to tell the truth. That is an awful way to live. Stop it right now. Put away lying. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth to his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and sin not. <laughs> we kind of... We kind of, oh, I can be angry. Oh, and don't sin. Never mind. (laughs) Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands, the thing which is good that he may have, to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers. What I'm about to say, is it going to help anybody? Is it going to build anybody up? Is it going to be graceful? That's, That's the litmus test according to this verse. That'll kind, of, that'll kind of limit a lot of what we say, I'm afraid. Limit a lot of what we talk about, I'm afraid. But verse 30, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. Which means that if we don't, we're grieving the Holy Spirit. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed in the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Here's the, here's the alternative. Here's the choice we need to make. And be ye kind one to another tenderhearted, forgiving one another even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you now you know me I express my kindness in insults (laughs) by messing with you that's how that's how I'm expressing my love for you just so you understand Uh, but Colossians chapter 3 there's a checklist here let's go over the checklist if you've been filling the blanks we've got some boxes beside those blanks here's the list fornication uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, covetousness, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication. Uh, Let me ask you this morning, are you saved? I hope you are. If, 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 if If you're not, trust Jesus. If you have, you're in Christ. But how many of these are part of your life? How many of these need to be mortified? How many of these need to be put off? How does everything... In chapters 1 and 2, how is it reflected about who you are and what you have in Christ? Is, is, is any of that reflected in this? How, how do these sins reflect everything in verses 1 to 4 about who you are and what you have in Christ? Let, let's not just be saved. Let's, let's act like it. Let's live like it. We're, we're out from under the wrath of God, but let's not do the same things that cause the wrath of God to come on the children of of disobedience. Colossians 3, verses 5 through 8, really good instruction for us. Lord, thank you for your word. Uh, Lord, may it have free course in our lives. Deliver us, please, from sin. Thank you that we're delivered from its penalty through what Jesus did for us. But Jesus is our high priest and he ever liveth to make intercession for us and to give us victory over these sins and others in our daily lives. and. Uh, Lord, uh, it, it sure be great for us to live in victory over these things. So help us to desire that and help us to appropriate what you've given so we can have that victory. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.